We are on our fourth lesson of our Code to Joy. We're learning life skills for managing our expectations. The first, um, managing how to have more happiness in our life, more joy, very apropos when we are stuck inside, whether it be COVID or ice storms or lack of electricity or whatever it is going on in our life. We all have different challenges. I gave a workshop this last week to the probably about um, 300 women actually on Zoom for the Shluchos. Um, we have our conference every year. So this year it was on Zoom and I, Anastasia, welcome. And this year when I gave the workshop, I started off by saying that, um, so I'm gonna quote myself now. I don't know why I need to give this, all this background. I could just say what I'm gonna say. Okay, so um, we all struggle. Life is about struggle. That's what we're put on this earth to do is to struggle. We all have struggle. So the first week we talked about getting more gratitude, moda'ani. The second um, month we spoke about healthy self-perception and image. And then last month you had Leah taught you about knowing our purpose. What are we good at? What are we needed for? Um, if anyone wants to share anything that they any aha moment they had over the last month based on that. Um, well, I would love to hear, just like wave to me, tell me you wanna share something. Okay, am I missing someone? Just pop in, okay. So um, this month we're talking about, what is it from joy to, from oi to yay. I guess oi to joy was just too cliche. So it's oi <laughs> to yay. Um, okay, so we're discussing fear and stress, which take away from our ability to experience joy. Even when we are grateful and we know our purpose, right? Even when we have all these tools in our tool belt, if we have fear, we're still blocked from full joy and making, and we're actually blocked from better decision making, which leads to joy. And I actually this morning gave a workshop to early childhood teachers in Charlotte, I think they were, it was on Zoom, I don't even know where they were, but we spoke about how you cannot be in two parts of your brain at the same time. So if you are in your fear brain, that means you're in your lizard brain, like you're in your reptilian brain, it's your lowest part of your brain, and you can't really make such great decisions when you're in your fear brain. But here I am talking to like Dr. Maxi and all these people who know way more about this than me. Okay, so um, this is life work that we're talking about. Um, it's this is this is like the inner work that is lifelong. It's going away from fear, the fear of what is unknown. Um, all this is super popular today. A lot of people are talking about these kind of inner work. A lot of people are, are doing the work and just trying to discover themselves. But we're going we're gonna to kind of come at this from the esoteric place, from the Hasidic texts, um, from the Torah literature, which is long before contemporary culture was talking about this. In the past, we have spoken about the Tanya, which was written over 200 years ago. And we discussed in the, in the first class how the Alter Rebbe had said that in order to be the most productive is, remember those two fighters in the ring? Who is gonna be the more successful fighter is the, gonna be the one who had a better attitude, right? If you think you can, and if you think you can't, you're probably right. So when you're clear from any traces of worry, which of course is very hard and takes a whole lot of 
you know, it takes the whole Tanya to explain how to get free of worry. But even Tanya talks about how getting rid of worry brings us to our, brings us to joy. It brings us to our higher self. So we're going to go like layer by layer kind of here into the techniques from the Torah, how to minimize our anxieties and fears. And then we're going to end off with a meditation about this. Okay. So, um, I'm going to share my screen now da, 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 da. and okay. So here is, Oh, now you, let me, let me make this bigger. So we're not like seeing everything. I'm, what do you see now? You see everything, right? Huge screen. But do you, you don't just see this, right? Do you see like this? Yeah. yeah. Okay. How do I, ah, there we go. Okay. Better. Okay, so text 1A, text 1B. Okay, text 1A, um, Ray, go ahead. Um, a worry in a person's heart, cast it away. Okay, so the Talmud, this is from, sorry, this is from Proverbs, okay? And what is it telling us? It's telling us that um, this is Mishle in the book of the Tanakh, written by King Solomon. And it contains many short teachings on how people can conduct their lives in a wise manner. We know that King Solomon was the wisest of all men, of all men. And he here he says, Daga belev ish yasichena. A worry in a person's heart, cast it away. He is very upfront about this. He's very basic. He's saying, just, you know, this is probably your grandmother's best advice. Stop worrying. That's it. Push it away. Okay. So obviously this is much easier said than done. But I want to point something out to you. Can you see my mouse? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this word daga is the word for worry in Hebrew. And if you follow with me, there's aleph. There's no bet, but there's gimel, dalin, hey. Those are four of the five first letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Which letter are we missing? Eh. We're missing the second letter, the bet. Yeah. And what we're missing is the bet for bitachon. When you worry, you are lacking trust. Oh, wow. So you have Aleph, Gimel, Dalit, Hey, and this is telling us that we are lacking the trust. I just realized that I will not, I'm just going to look for a minute if anyone's trying to get into the class. Okay. All right. I'm going to screen share again. Okay. So um, that was text A. So worry tells you what is missing when you are, why do you need to push away this worry? What is this telling you? It's telling you that when you're worrying, you are lacking trust, you're lacking confidence. And mm -hmm. when you're lacking confidence on the opposite, you're more prone to worry. So one step further is from, so we have King Shlomo. Now let's go a little further in history. We've evolved a little, and now we're gonna go to the Talmud and um, Adira, do you want to read text 1B? The English? The Hebrew. Okay. Yeah, the Hebrew. I don't know. In the English. No, the English. Okay, good. Whew, okay, thank you. You're very merciful. Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi okay, interpreted this verse. One said, cast it from the mind the other said speak about it with others okay so now we're we're a few hundred years later a thousand years later and this is Rav Ami and Rav Asi they often argue in the Talmud and they are saying that 
it's not necessarily, one is saying, yeah, cast it from your mind. The other is saying, speak about it with others. How do you cast it away? You cast it away by speaking about it with others. Mm. Um, okay, so, and, and actually, if you, in modern psychology or modern thinking and things we know about today is that, and actually even in Hasidus, we learn about this in, it's for another class, but when you speak about something, you bring it out of your forebrain and then you can get what's in your back brain. You could get like the deeper stuff. So if you speak about what's bothering you, it actually helps you, um, it, it, <clears throat> it helps you. So the, the reason he got speak about it with others, the rabbi said that is because Yasi Chena, the word Yasi Chena is from Siach to speak. So that's where he got that interpretation from. So, um, so speak about it with a friend and that's how your worries will go away. We're not disputing it. We're just saying that the way you get it away is by speaking through this. And, and this actually um, really um, coincides with modern psychology and the way we understand how the brain works, that if you get something out of your brain, it doesn't have to sit there anymore. Okay. When you talk about it, you won't hold on to it. Right. So, um, okay. Um, so I, I just mentioned that I, I gave a conscious discipline workshop this morning and in conscious discipline, we, for the children, we're really trying to acknowledge the emotional experience. Um, we're teaching the children life skills for regulation and equilibrium. Um, it's, it's not about pushing things away. It's, it's about, it's very solution oriented. And, um, so one of the things we were speaking about, sorry, um, um, <laughs> it's very interesting because I started this class on the second page of my notes, but that's fine. Okay, so um, so um, okay, so when you call a friend, right, and you've had two glasses of wine and it's not getting to you anymore, but sometimes there's still no resolution. But it's only when you have like the awareness that you're getting beyond it. So sometimes it's like, um, okay, getting sidetracked by a note that's coming in. Okay, so um, you have to have the awareness to, in order to get over something or beyond something. It's conversation, awareness, meditation. What else? Okay, what else is there? I just realized that I started this class and um, I skipped my whole intro. So let's see mm, if there's anything that I wanted to, um, to get into. I kind of jumped in. I do want to share an exercise here. So sorry. Okay. So we're just going to back up a little bit just to kind of put us in this place. What, um, so we're talking about worrying and fear and just an exercise here. This is not something that you need, we need to discuss, but if anyone wants to share, they can. Over the past two weeks, how often have you experienced the following? Not being able to stop or control worrying, not at all, for several days, over half the days, nearly every day. Worrying too much about different things. Have trouble relaxing feeling afraid as if something awful might happen. So um, 
when you rate yourself, then you're going to be able to see what kind of worrier you are, worrier you are. Um, feeling, feeling worried and feeling fearful aside from clinical reasons, right, um, is, is not really dependent on life circumstances because you can have people that have really wonderful life circumstances, yet they are full of worry. You can have people that have really difficult life circumstances, but they are just less burdened. They're more serene. Right. It's not always determined by your life circumstances. Sometimes people, we're not talking now about clinical depression here, okay? I'm talking about just regular everyday worrying and people. So um, sometimes people do it to themselves. Sometimes we do this to ourselves. Some people have more stress going on in their lives, but they worry less Some people, and they're less fearful. So it doesn't, it's not really about life circumstances. And case in point, you have soldiers in the IDF and the Israeli army, and they are trained in mind control that even in the enemy's presence, they, um, they are able to keep it together. So, you know, I can't even watch Fauda without crawling under my covers and putting a pillow on my head. And that's just a movie or a, a, a show. And I literally cannot watch the thing. And these are real people in real circumstances where you know, they're, they could be peeing down their leg and then they're, they're trained to control their mind. Um, I remember we went to Israel and when Rabbi Shusterman became a Mohel and the first time that he witnessed the bris, he fainted. Like, and he was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. And we just paid like thousands of dollars to get our family to Israel. He paid for this course. And he was like, well, Joy, Dr. Maxi knows about the base of Vagel in our family, but Thank God he pulled through and he was able to get over that fear, okay? So if we could learn ways to minimize stress in our life, then we have a lot to gain because we will be functioning with wisdom and courage, again, because we can't be in two parts of our brains at the same time. So um, I think that was all that was I wanted to add. Okay, so I'm going to now, I'm gonna share the screen again because we're talking about not not worrying about it, talking about it with a friend. And now let's see um, a letter from a um, one of the Chabad Rebbe's from 150 years ago. We're going to look at this advice that was given and what um, that meant. Um, oh, okay. We're going to look. We're, we're going to we're going to look at it. Sorry, 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 sorry. Okay, I have a lot to prep us to read this letter. Okay, so. We are going to be reading a long letter that the second Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote to somebody who was worried back in Europe. So there was a lot to worry about. There was a lot to fear. But before we get into that letter, I want to explain some key concepts in Kabbalah, okay? So you discussed some of these concepts last month, but I have been learning this for, I don't know, 20 something years and I'm always confused and it's always difficult. So I'm just come along with me on this um, journey. So you learned last month that our soul is com compromised of how many um, like spiritual powers. Do you remember? You have 10 soul powers. Oh, just said it. Okay. You have 10 soul powers, right? We you, you learned that last month about your 10 soul powers. 
And 10 parts, these 10 soul powers are across the board. It, they are the building blocks of our personality. We all have a variation of them. It's like colors and art. How many colors make up the colors of the rainbow? But you can use those colors in a myriad of ways. You can do a bazillion things. It's infinite, really, what you can do with those colors. But the colors of the rainbow are finite, but you can do infinite things with them. Um, think about musical instruments. You can go to a symphony and they're always using the same darn instruments, right? But they're making beautiful, distinct, different music, okay? So um, that's, so even though we all have these same 10 soul powers, we are all very different, okay? We have the same bass combination. Each of us express it differently. We have different nuances. We have different strengths in our 10 soul powers. Now, in these 10 soul powers, there's three intellectual powers, and then there's seven emotional powers, okay? These are the parts of the soul. Is this, is this, this is familiar? Raise your hand if this is familiar to you. Okay, good. All right. So Chabad, we get our name from the intellectual parts of these soul powers. So there's Chachma, which is the spark, which is that idea that pops into your head. And then there's Bina, which is the development. It's the analyzing, it's the logic. And then Das is the concretization, making it personal in your practice. It's the understanding it, it's bringing it into our emotional world. It's from the abstract to the personal. So um, the, the, um, the metaphor used is like, it's from your head it goes, das is your neck, and then it lands in your heart where you get the next seven, uh, the seven emotions, okay? When we are learning Torah, we need das because God and spirituality are very abstract, right? We can't feel it or touch it, but we need to get connected to it. We get it through. We need to develop the spark of Chachman Bina, and then we get das. It's not automatic. Now, this is something that I think is very important to understand. You don't need to be taught to love ice cream. You know, there's Jackie Mason's famous line, like you gotta have cake, you know, nobody had to tell me to develop a taste for cake. You gotta <laughs> develop a taste for wine. You know, the finer things in life, you really have to develop a taste for, but nobody needs to teach you to love cake. We are born loving cake. And because of that, we sometimes think that unless things come easy to us, or unless we have a natural inclination, even let's say playing a violin. We all know we have to work very hard to play a violin, but the desire to play violin is innate. So it feels like it's got to be there. This is not the same thing with spirituality. Spirituality is not natural. You have to work it in order to feel it. And I think this is very important when we're speaking about our animal soul and our spiritual soul, our animal soul functions like this. It's intuitive. It's natural. It's instinctive. It's like animalistic, literally. And our spiritual soul doesn't come from, oh, I love Hashem so much. It's first, I have to think about Hashem. It first starts in the brain. So this is very important. Okay. So Das, again, is the link between the intellect and the emotion. When it comes to fear, Das is going to play a huge part because you know, I can know I have a deadline. I can know that something is happening right now. I need to know this. If I don't know that I have a deadline, I don't feel a little bit of anxiety or fear. I'm not going to get working on that project and I'm going to be late. If there's a bear coming, I need to 
hear the bear, feel scared about the bear so that I move my legs and I run. So it's important, fear, anxiety, a lot of these things are important. They're just, they're signals to our body to keep us safe, right? So um, there is an appropriate amount of fear. There's an appropriate amount of anxiety. There's, these are like little messages to our body, but, um, but the problem is, is when it turns into unhealthy stress, right? So the Chachma and the Bina, in a sense, is like the good stress. It's like, I'm thinking about these things. And ideally, I keep them in my brain. I have a deadline, I'm going to get it finished, and I get it finished. That's Chachma and Bina. I didn't internalize it. I didn't stress over it. So in these kinds of areas, we want to stay in our Chachma and our Bina. We just want to stay with the idea. We don't need to make it emotional. We don't need to be attached to a bear coming to eat us. We need to get out of the way, breathe through it, and let it go, right? And then we don't get stuck with trauma, even though we get stuck with trauma anyway. Okay, so once it consumes me and it takes away from my happiness... This happens often when it enters DAS in a way that is pervasive and it's not, it's not the helpful kind of information anymore. The worry after I have done what I needed to do, the what ifs, as my father used to say, the woulda, coulda, woulda, shouldas, the what ifs, if only you should have, when it's taking over, when this chachma bina takes over my DAS, then that is no longer helpful, okay? That's no longer good for us, okay? Got it? So we can have thoughts that turn into emotions, but if the emotions overtake us, so we can have this concept of fear, this concept of love, this concept, but when it, it, it over, it submerges us underneath it, then it's no longer helpful, okay? Idea number two that we're learning before we start the Rebbe, the letter from the second Chabad Rebbe is that, there are three soul garments. And if you take Hasidic classes, you've heard this um, before. So um, these three soul garments, how do we express our soul? Our soul sits in a body. It has no legs, it has no arms, it has no desire even. It doesn't have a will of its own. It's not like our animalistic side, our spiritual side. It really lays dormant. How does it get expressed? Actually, both of our souls, how do they get expressed? Our souls get expressed. How do we kind of put give them a stage, we give them a, a, a spotlight, we magnify them for our personality through the things we think about, through the things we speak about, and through the things we do. Now, bear in mind that even though they magnify and they give a spotlight to our personality, they're not integral necessarily to our personality. They're like clothing. They're called garments of the soul. So we can put them on and we could take them off. So. For example, all of us know that there are times where we speak really nice to our family, I mean, to, to, to people. And then sometimes when we're at home, we speak really not nice. And then if somebody we know is around, we might start speaking nicely again. So which one is you? Both of them are you, you're talking. And, but you have the ability to change that clothing really quickly. Which one is your soul? I hope that the nicer person is your real soul, right? So at the core, we're a piece of divine, we're a piece of God, we're a piece of the infinite, so we're perfect at our core. But we have ways of expressing ourselves that don't necessarily express who we are at our core, okay? So um, the, the, 
speech, deed, and action are ways that we express ourselves, but again, they're not integral to who we are. And again, case in point is that we speak differently. Both of them are us. Um, what we so which is the real me? Well, when I'm speaking nicely, even if someone's in the room, oh, that's my higher self, right? And when no one's in the room and I'm not speaking nicely or think about people who use foul language, they know around who not to use that foul language, right? If you're standing online at the DMV and you wanna get your, your, your license filled, you're not gonna start cursing at the attendant because you have a need that you need to fill. We all know when to put on filters, which clothing to put on, but what are we attaching ourselves to? Are we expressing our higher self? Or are we expressing our lower self? So if we choose to, use, we're able to activate different emotional worlds, right? It depends what we want to highlight about ourselves. And it's kind of a domino effect, but awareness is so important to make sure that we're making conscious choicing choices about what we are saying about what now it's very, I, I, I kept talking about speech here, right? Or even action, like somebody could be, you know, rebuking their child. And as soon as they see somebody's in the parking lot, all of a sudden they're like, sweetie, would you like me to put in your car seat? Like we, we know how to change on a dime our, our, our speech and our action. You know what else we can change on a dime? Our thoughts. It's not just our speech and our action. Our thoughts too are just a garment of our soul. For some reason, we think our thoughts are much more integral to who we are because they do come knocking in a way that's not quite comfortable. Now, there are thoughts that we are not in control of when they enter our head. Yet, if we're conscious of this ability to remove thoughts, we can actually become more proficient in these thoughts not entering our head. The same way we can change our tone of voice, we can change the language we use, we can change our actions, we can change our thoughts too. That's kind of cool to think about, right? Okay. Okay, so um, who am I choosing to address when I change my thoughts? So when I change my speech, I might be addressing the president of the United States, or I might be addressing a teacher, I might be addressing somebody very important, so I'm gonna change my speech. But when I change and I control my thoughts, who am I addressing here? Who is that for, usually? It's for myself, right? We're doing this for ourselves. So perhaps this is the most important thing that we gain control over because this is the thing we do for ourselves, okay? So um, choosing constructive thoughts activates the part of our personality, our personhood that is more constructive. Choosing worry, which is more natural, activates all our potential feel, uh, our fears, and it brings us right back to our lower emotional world. And then we become consumed by it. Because again, you can't be in two parts of your brain at the same time. So if you're in your fear brain, which is your lowest brain, you really can't make great decisions about what needs to come next. So if you're not controlling your thoughts, you're really going to be submerged in your fears and anxiety. They work hand in hand. Okay, anybody want to add or say anything here, please?
say, um, Shira? Um, so a lot of that idea of changing your thoughts, there's a lot of stuff I read about being a parent and um, talking to your kids and you're their inner voice and all. And a lot of it is, you know, explaining to you, like, you can just keep talking in this, in a way to, you know, elevate your children and, and, you know, make sure they understand what you're saying. And it may feel uncomfortable because we're not used to talking in a specific way, but, you know, the more you do it, the better and more comfortable you get in, you know, praising your child or, you know, explaining things to them or becoming empathetic. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing of, you know, trying to be that person. So, so what I hear you saying is like, sometimes it could feel cheesy, right? The way you're trying to change your tone or you're trying to really be empathetic, or you're trying to tell your kid, like, you've got this and I believe in you. And then, but really you're, what you're doing is you're, you're helping them have that inner voice. I trust you as opposed to I'm, I'm worthless, etc. Um, Adira, did you want to say something? Well, I heard um, a speaker and this one line, it wasn't just fake it till you make it, it's fake it till you become it. So every time I hear it, I always correct it in my head. But I want to know, you said that you can't have more than one thought at a time. If you have ADHD, you can. No, I didn't say you can't have more than one thought. I said you can't be in two parts of your brain at the same time. If you have ADHD, you can. That or it just goes so fast that it feels like you're in two places. I don't know what you, but it does sometimes take more work to change the thoughts. I, I, I validate that. I believe that if you have some neuro, neurological difficulties, all of this would be more difficult. Yes. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Go ahead. Ruby, you have to um, unmute yourself. That would help, right? Okay. So I want you to just go over something again. You said a thought comes in. We can't control the thought coming in. And then what did you say? You so said then I, I said we're, a thought can come in, but so just because a thought comes in, that we don't have control. We can, we can get better at this over our lifetime and as we become more, you know, so to speak, pure and holy, but as we are, you know, plebeians, thoughts will come in, but whether we choose to focus on that thought, I'm going to tell a story soon about, you know, a mushal for this of how we, even though a thought comes in, we don't have to wear it. It doesn't, it doesn't have to become our garment. Thank you. Okay. So, um, Okay, so when I'm not feeling good about myself and I have thoughts of fear and I have thoughts of anxiety, um, we, can, we can look at it. We can notice it without judgment because if we notice these thoughts without judgment, you know, I didn't get that job, okay? Oh man, this sucks. I needed that job. I'm worthless. I never, I, I don't deserve it. I never get anything good in my life. And there you go. It's like down the rabbit hole and you're in fear and your anxiety and, you know, all those voices, the inner voices, whether they came from things you taught yourself or things somebody told you about yourself, as opposed to, huh, I didn't get that job. I'm feeling the thoughts are coming in that I'm worthless, but 
you know, so then we talk to a friend, right? And the friend's like, you got this job and you were so good at this. And remember when you did this or your therapist, whoever is telling you these things. And then you're like, huh, yeah, that's right. And then you're, you're, you're staying there and you're noticing the thoughts and okay, this is how I'm used to thinking about myself. So you acknowledge those thoughts, you make space for them, but you don't fall into the fear. And then guess what? You're still in your thinking brain. And then you can start saying, well, there's maybe this wasn't meant to be this job. And maybe um, this wasn't exactly the job I needed. And, or we go to faith and maybe there's something better out there. So it's, it's which direction do you want to go in? It's noticing with love it's separating myself from my thoughts. So even if I am having those terrible thoughts, I'm worthless saying, huh, I'm really used to having terrible thoughts about myself being worthless. Huh, I'm noticing I'm still doing this, even though I know it's not helpful for me. So, um, but they're not tied intrinsically to who you are. They are, again, they're garments of your soul. It's not your 10 soul powers. That's the difference. Okay. So creating distance, getting, first of all, this knowledge that you could create distance and the awareness that it is important to create distance between yourself and your thoughts is really important. The distinction between thought. Okay. Now there's the distinction, what you were asking me about the distinction between thoughts I think about and thoughts that enter. Okay. When I am unconsciously thinking about something and then a thought comes in that is out of your control, but you can mitigate that with practice as well. So, um, and, and also when those thoughts enter you that are t bringing you down, that you didn't feel like you had control over, you have, to, you have to notice it, not judge it, the same way everything else in your life. It is a challenge like any other challenge from Hashem. If I am continue, I was raised a certain way and my mind goes to thinking that I'm not worthy, even though I know I'm worthy because I spent 10 years in therapy. So I know I'm worthy. Rabbi Solish told me I am a chelak elkai, I'm a piece of divine, but my thoughts still sometimes go to thinking I'm not worthy. You are not responsible for that entering your head but now you have an opportunity to replace it. You have to view that as a challenge. It's a challenge of your upbringing. It's a challenge of your surrounding. It's not intrinsically you, even if that thought comes into your head, even if it's the bad thought. So there's a story of a chassid who came to a Rebbe, maybe the Alter Rebbe, and he said, you know, I have been thinking things that no upstanding religious Jewish man should be thinking these thoughts are entering my head. I can't get them out of my head. I don't know what to do. So the Rebbe said, I want you to travel to this in this town, you know, 200 miles away. And I want you to go visit Reb, Reb Wolf. So he travels, he goes to the town, he, he gets to the town, he comes to the town square and he says, I am looking for Reb Wolf. So they point in the direction. There's 35 houses. He comes and he can smell the smells of Shabbos cooking from the house. He can hear children playing. He, he can see it's our Shabbos. He's there and he's going to spend Shabbos with Reb Wolf and Reb Wolf is going to teach him the secrets of life. So he knocks on the door and there's no answer. And he knocks on the door and there's no answer. And he can hear the kids in the house and the sun is setting. It's getting later. There's quiet. The wife is benching licht. He knocks and nobody answers the door and he's super frustrated. And then all of a sudden no one's in the house. They must have left the back. So he goes to the synagogue. He goes to Shul 
and he's invited home by somebody. And again, the next day he's knocking on Revolve's door. He can, he knows people are home and he's knocking, knocking. Finally, at the end of the, the last tefillah, the last prayer at the end of Shabbat, he, Rev Wolf comes up to him and says, oh, are you a new in town? My name is Rev Wolf. He didn't know this, what Rev Wolf looks like. And he says, oh, I, I, I've been knocking on your door. He's like, you have? He's like, yeah. He's like, I know, I didn't want to let you in. So, um, so the point was that knock, 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 knock. The, the lesson he taught him was you don't need to let everything in that wants to come into your that wants to come into your brain. You don't have to open the door to everything that's knocking. So things might come and they're gonna knock for you, but you have the choice to let them in. Okay, so now we're going to, I'm gonna share the screen again, and we're now going to be able to read this letter that we so eloquently prepared for. Okay, so um, text to A. Okay, so this letter is, was written by Rabbi Benachem Mendel, the third leader of the Chabad movement. Um, and he wrote this to his daughter-in-law's father. So his machutin, you know, the, his in-law wrote him this letter of his fears. And this was the response that he got, okay? Um, regarding your questions concerning fears, etc., although they are not, I have not refrained from answering by sharing what's on my heart. So he off the bat tells him what you're worried about is not real. And this is, um, and this is often the case, right? Sometimes we're worried about things and they're not real. And here was a tzaddik, a rebbe, somebody who has maybe a higher access point to energy, to knowing what's, what's going on in our lives. And this rebbe was telling him it's not real, but he's still gonna answer what's on his heart. And it's very interesting expression because he goes into a robust idea that's intellectual, yet he says it's on. So sometimes when you, when you give over an intellectual idea through your heart, it's able to penetrate the heart. Okay. That's, that's the point here. Okay. So, um, okay. So, um, what do they say? A rocking chair is like, um, uh, sitting in one place and expecting to get some, it's like worrying. Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gets, you rock back and forth, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Right, because we often waste time on worry. Um, you know, a lot of things we worry about, they say 10, 10, 10. If, is this going to matter as much in 10 minutes, in 10 months, and in 10 years? You know, that's another way to think about how much you need to worry. But 90% of the things we worry about don't ever come to fruition. Okay, so now the next part of the letter is, um, um, go ahead, um, who wants to read? I'll read Dina and Sarah. Go, go for it, Sarah. Read text 2B. It is certain that you should ask God for joy, as it is written, cause the soul of your servant to rejoice. Similarly, we say in our prayers, remove gloom and lamenting from us. Nevertheless, there are also fears that people trigger themselves, and the choice and authority is given to them to withhold themselves from them. Okay, so in this part of the letter, he's talking about prayer, meditation, you know, pray about it, 
meditate on it so that you can have this self-control, this mind control. Okay. Um, okay. Now this is the, the end of the letter and, um, Ruby, Ruby, what do I, is that what I call you? I'm trying to think what you're, say it in, sorry, you have to mute, unmute yourself. You have to unmute yourself. Nope, you're still muted. No, I can't hear you. We'll wait. Okay, there you are. No? You know, can she press the space bar? Because that's what I do to unmute myself. Want to press the space bar? Can you hear me now? There you go. Yes, go. Okay, so I, I can't see myself. I couldn't see where I am up there at all. So that's why I couldn't unmute. You could call me, I, I was gross black before. I'm now cats. No, I know, but I, your first name is Ruby, right? Yeah, yeah, you can call me Ruby. Okay, I thought maybe you had a different, um, uh, like a Hebrew name. Do you have a, another my name? name is, my name is Ruby Malka. Yeah, it's Ruby is Yiddish, someone told okay. me. Okay, oh, so and maybe it, maybe it was Mal. Uh, anyway, okay. I know who you are. Good to see you. Good to Thanks see you also. Okay, so can you want, would you like to continue? Sure. Each person has three soul garments, thought, speech, and action that comprise the primary components of human behavior. The choice and power is granted to us to think, speak, and act according to our desire. Even if you're emotionally afraid, you are able to remove your thought, speech, and action from that emotion. Immediately upon letting go of the thought, the fear will dissolve on its own. At the very least, the fear will become dormant and will not be felt in your body. And over the course of a few days, it will completely dissipate to the point that it will not come up in your mind at all. Okay. I just, um, I mean, to me, this is, this is so fascinating in light of this is written over, over 150 years ago, this letter. And, you know, we all talk about the mind body connection and the body keeps the score and where we keep our emotions, where we keep our feelings. And here's the Tzemach Tzedek telling him that you can do this. You can do it by distracting yourself or you can do it on a higher level. And you, and you, oh, I'm sorry. That, that's the next, what's the next text. Okay. One second. Okay. Sorry. So now we have, oh, we didn't finish. Okay, sorry, continue. All right. Um, yes. Didn't finish? Yeah, continue now on page 110. Removing your thought. Removing your thought from the fear will lead to the fear's dissipation because emotions come from the faculty of that, that by means of thought. Therefore, by removing your thought, that is, am I saying that right? Yeah, that is automatically removed from the emotion and it will not awaken. It is appropriate for you to train yourself away from all melancholy. You can remove the fear from your heart even when there is something legitimate to fear. All the more so in your case in which, thank God, you have nothing to fear at all, whether in matters of your health or finances, etc. Okay, so that's the end of that. And then text four, um, this is a continuation. Now this is now this is the rest of the letter. Okay, go ahead. I should continue, me? Yeah. The primary method of removing negative thoughts from your mind is by directing your mind toward other matters. 
This can be worldly things if they're necessary and make you happy. And God's Torah, which delights the heart by establishing fixed times for daily study, particularly with another. Okay, so what the, so again, what I think this is very timely and what the, the Rebbe is saying here is that prayer, meditation, mind control, um, you have the ability, just remember this is, he's telling this to somebody 150 years ago when not as much was understood about self-control, mind control, where, you know, the things that we understand today. And I mean, I think we understand things in the last 20 years, 10 years, five years better than we ever have. So you can do this by distracting. You can do this by distracting yourself with your pleasures or which not always leads you to the best place. It might take you away from your fear, but it might, you know, get you drunk. So, um, or you can do a higher level of distraction, which is Torah and positive ideas. Okay. Um, when I'm, <clears throat> so when I am being burdened by worry, I have to do this inner work of creating distance between my emotions and my thoughts. And if you visualize this practice, you meditate on it, you actually remove it from you. You say, this is my fear. This is what it's doing to me, but I don't want to be thinking about this anymore. And, um, and you can really, um, you can really get yourself to a higher function and a higher level within you. Okay. So, um, I want to read now an excerpt from an article. Did everyone get that? Does anyone have any questions on that? Can you give us a copy of this? this yes, I can email one. you. Um, I will, if you email me, I'll email you the text, all this text. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you got my email today, I'll email. Yeah, I'll email you. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Donna, did you want to say something? Just unmute yourself. No, I just wanted to say I'd like that email too. I'd like to get it. Okay, sure. Sure. Anyone have anything else to add to what we're saying or have any questions? I, I do have something to say though. Please, Donna. Share. <laughs> I love when you share. My sister. My sister calls me every single day because she worries every single day. And she worries about, she's by herself, she's got asthma. What if tonight I can't breathe, there's nobody here. She thinks about these things all the time. What if I pass out on the floor and I'm by myself and what can I do? And she, she projects all the time about things that could happen or might happen. And she really makes herself crazy. So I sit, I listen to her and I listen to her. And then I tell her, you've got to just stop projecting, live in the moment, stop thinking about what might happen. And she says, well, do I sound like I can't breathe right now? I said, you talked to me for the last hour of obviously you're breathing. So <laughs> this happens all the time. So I really try to help her. And not that I don't have my own worries, I do, but I don't dwell on things the way she does. So, so just, but, I mean, first of all, does she have like an emergency button and all the things she would need in case something happened? Like worrying about things that you're not taking care of, that's a whole other right. mission. Exactly. And yeah. if she has everything in place, I mean, if, if she can't breathe and it's her time to go, then it's actually going to happen. It's going to happen to any of us in the middle of the night. Right. I mean, it's, it's really, 
it, it sounds like she loves, maybe you could just change the subject on her. Don't think about it, right? <laughs> I try. You know, my mother used to tell me to tell her to shut up and stop thinking. <laughs> it's kind of hard to tell your mother to shut up, but you know, you know my mother. Yeah. So I'd say, yeah. okay, mother, shut up and stop thinking. Oh, you, your mother wanted you to say that to her because she was worrying so much. Yeah, it's, it's really, I, it's really a, it's very, um, it's very stuck being worried like this. And it, it, it is, it's a generational thing. It's also could be, you know, we don't have another, we don't know any better, but why don't you call her and tell her, I just learned this information that, that your thoughts are garments and you can change them. And I'm, I'm, it's not pleasant to speak to you every day and hear this. Like, I want to speak about interesting. I mean, it sounds to me like you don't enjoy this. If you enjoy it, I don't, I dread her calling. Really. So then, I don't know. You can say that to her, say, you know, I want to, I want to be real with you. I, I learned this information and you're not a slave to your thoughts. I, I guess what? Thoughts are like clothing. They're garments for our soul. Just like you wouldn't punch the police officer, tell him to, you know what, or stick your middle finger up at him. You know how to behave in front of the officer that pulls you over. You, you can control your thoughts. And, and this worrying is not, is, is, is not pleasant. And I really don't want to hear about it anymore. Thank you. I'll try that. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think you, uh, you owe her listening to her worrying. I mean, validating mm -hmm. is great, but at a certain point, at a certain age, it's like, you know, anyway, Cookie, did you have something to add? I, uh, if you don't mind, uh, what, what is helpful and useful for me uh, in terms of meditation is, is not really to try to replace the thought and not to assume that there, that thoughts have an equal power. In other words, in my mind, a good thought or a, or a horrible thought is just a thought. And in order to reach that, that concept for me, I do just a simple breathing so that when, the, when a thought appears, I go back to inhaling and exhaling. And that, that's, just, that's a very old <laughs> technique, but it works because it's, it allows you to not so much get your mind off of because the, the energy to force a thought away is not useful. It's not a skillful way to approach it. But each time a thought comes, rather than following the thought to, to New York or wherever it goes, returning to the sense of what it feels like to inhale and exhale will allow those thoughts, and it won't take too long to eventually kind of go out to sea. You're like treating your thoughts like feelings. You're, you're just in, noticing in the, them. Because, because the concept that, that basic mindfulness uh, uh, awareness practice is, is to not see thoughts as, as who you are, just like you were saying. They, they aren't you. The thoughts in my head are not me. God knows what I could have a thought of, you know, I'd like to hit my neighbor over the head, you know, or I'm, I might have the most loving thought in the world. All of them are just thoughts and the way to let them go like clouds, you know, like you watch the sky and the cloud will eventually move. The thought will eventually go out like a storm to the sea. If you keep coming back, it, it takes practice. 
just coming back to inhaling and exhaling. Every time the thought, any thought, instead of labeling it good or bad, or I'd like to get rid of it, or look what I'm doing to myself, eventually you'll start to realize, especially when you get up in the morning, oh my God, that's what I'm thinking about. You know, you, <laughs> you become more aware of what, of, of what your thoughts are, you know, you may not like right. them, but anyway. Right, right. and I just, I think that in Donna's case specifically, this is, it's not just thoughts, it's the action, it's the emotion of worrying that she's dealing with. And it's, it, 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 it takes a certain sort to be mindful. And I'm not sure that Donna's dealing with the sort that is gonna access the mindfulness. So some people do need to replace their thoughts because they're constantly thinking and they wanna be thinking and they wanna be busy with that. So it's not always practical. I agree that thoughts are like feelings, like they come and they go and we could you know think about something else and just watch it and not judge it. But for some people, I think that um, actively thinking about something else, it takes, it takes the space where that would be. And um, not, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a goal to be mindful about it. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, sometimes we just need to move to some, you know, I, I know with myself that if I'm worrying about something and I'm like, I'm going to go and listen to a class because I want to actively participate in filling my mind up with other things. And in no time, right? Even, I mean, I guess I pray often when I'm having thoughts, I'm like, let me go pray. I haven't prayed today. That's why I'm worrying. And often that, you know, that's meditation in and of itself. But I think um, Donna's particular situation, it's, it, this is like years worth of like a, a wonderful relationship where you could really get real with someone and be like, I, I don't have space for this anymore. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> Okay, but now you, I think you have the tools, Donna, is like, maybe till now you thought like, I need to worry with her because this is really important. But based on what Cookie's saying, what I'm saying, like, no, no, you're okay. Or, or you could be more empathetic. You'd be like, let me, let me teach you about your thoughts. Like they're like clouds, they're passing. So let's notice them and let's watch them pass because, you know, the truth of the matter is if you get asthma and you die tonight, I mean, unless you want to sleep with the medical emergency guy. There's really nothing any of us can do about this worry. You know, like, it's just really, I think there's more going on there with, you know, the attention she needs. And mm. we're, anyway, that's, that's, that's another, uh, not for the purview of this. Um, <laughs> we, we could talk, Shira, yeah. Um, so I tell people all the time that I have an aunt who worries about everything all the time. Basically, when you talk to her, she's just a bundle of worry. So I say, oh, I don't need to worry about this. Whatever it is, my aunt will worry about it. Like, I, I use that a lot. Like, oh, well, okay, this might happen or that might happen. But she's got it covered. She's got all the worry and covered. So I'm I don't, I can do something else. Right, right. That's great. I love that. Okay. That is really good. Okay. So I'm going to share my screen again and share this story with you. This is actually, this is based on a bigger article. And if you want to read it, I could send it to you too. You could just text me or email me. But um, Mrs. Felig, Miriam Felig was, is a Holocaust survivor. She's actually my brother-in-law's grandmother. She grew up in an orphanage during the war. And um, so here she says, at the age of 18, newly married and pregnant, my mother, okay, so this is Miriam's daughter is writing this article about her mother. Um, Can you see my screen? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. At the age of 18, newly married and pregnant, my mother met the, Re met the Rebbe. Um, okay. In Yechidah. In Yechida. So she had a private audience with him. He had only recently become the Rebbe. She immediately, so this was in the 50s. She immediately felt comfortable confiding in him. She told the Rebbe that she had always wanted a large family, but was worried she had no family help to help her. She asked the Rebbe if he would adopt her, and the Rebbe answered yes. That was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. My mother would ask the Rebbe all sorts of questions, and the Rebbe would answer her with patience, understanding, and a lot of kindness. She would speak to the Rebbe about pregnancy, childcare, chinuch, housekeeping, you know, chinuch, which is um, education for children, her matches for her children, topics you would discuss with your own parent. She told him of her worries and her fears. The Rebbe told her in one of her private audiences, be a warrior, warrior, not a worrier. Another occasion he told her, if you want to, you can change. Um, she, <laughs> just some other cute things. My mother once told the Rebbe that no matter how hard she tried to keep the house clean, there was always a sock or something out of place with all the small children around. The Rebbe replied, I, but I see your husband, he looks happy. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's what's important, not whether the house is so clean. Um, once my mother told the Rebbe that sometimes she would get nervous with her children and lose her temper. She usually ended up taking out it out on whoever was within closest reach at the time, not necessarily the one who caused the problem. The Rebbe replied that everyone who gets what, what is basheret for them to get, if he got it now, he would not get it later. Okay, so this is just, I just love that line about be a warrior, not a worrier. Okay, so that's what you want to tell your sister, Donna, to be a worrier, not a worrier. Okay. So the courage to let go, to notice, to watch our thoughts is very big because sometimes our thoughts, and Donna, this probably relates to your sister, they are the shield. They are what we are hiding behind. So letting them go and letting them pass and noticing them, that takes a lot of courage. Okay. So um, the last idea, which is about thinking about other things or replacing your thoughts moving from mundane to spirituality. And, um, and I, I guess, you know, Cookie, you're saying that you just notice your thoughts, but we do want to think about things. So what do we want to think about? So we're going to go to um, text five here in the, this is from Psalms from King David. So we're going again, back in time. And many of you know this, that God is my shepherd. I shall not want. Um, okay, would you like to read this? Cookie, would you like to read? Sure, I'll read. <clears throat> a song of David, God is my shepherd, I shall not want. He causes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk in the valley of darkness, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my adversaries. You anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. May only goodness and kindness pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of God for my entire life. Okay, anybody have any um, thoughts about this psalm? So we know that King David did not have 
very easy life. He didn't have a peaceful life. And here he is, um, you know, using this metaphor about God when he's worried and when he's in the valley of the shadow, he's thinking about God as his shepherd. So we can, you know, we can take this imagery and we can take this metaphor. And when we are overcome with fear and when we feel this fear and we feel the burden of being alone and thinking I, I, I'm on my own, I have to carry this on my own. I live alone. I might die in the middle of the night. You know, um, when we feel lonely and overwhelmed and think about carrying this by ourselves, do we ever think about God the way King David is thinking about Hashem? Do we marginalize God? Do we think that he's real? Or do we, can we consider that he is also our shepherd and we are his sheep, we are his flock and he's looking after us. He's nurturing us and um, he's caring for us. And if you can, if you can go to this place like King David and have an imagery about God when you feel overcome with fear, because you know, it is all fine and nice to think about letting thoughts just pass, but sometimes we get bogged down by our thoughts. But maybe when we get bogged down by those thoughts or when something fearful is actually happening to us, and maybe, or maybe there's something happening to us that is really not comfortable and is not good. And then, and then what? But we are in a situation of fear. So we can think about, you know, God holding us got, you know, falling back into the arms of God, that he is holding us back. And then another thought along these lines is text six. And this is from Rabbi Bahaya Ibn Pakuda. And if you want to know more about Chovot Halavavot, Duties of the Heart, he actually wrote Shara Bitachon. And there is a podcast all about how to have more faith. It's, I've been listening to it over COVID. It's really, really beautiful, um, is the benefit of trust in God include tranquility of the heart in the face of worldly worries. The one who has trust finds quiet, security, and serenity within this world. And as, as it is written, blessed are those who trust in God. God will be their reassurance. So um, I'm also, sorry, one second. I'm going to share a video with you. I think it's here. Dina, why why is the Psalm twenty three one seems to be one of the famous one? Because of the the faith and the trust, the bitachon that it has in it, the imagery of God being our shepherd. I think that is, and maybe just because the Christians liked it and they made it popular. I don't know. Mm. Um, okay, so um, I'm going to play this video for us. And this video is about a study of a group of people who are asked to practice meditation the typical meditation and then meditation, which was God focused and what happened there. Can you hear it? Can money buy happiness? Not necessarily. It often invites the opposite response. But can money point the way to happiness? If you live in the US, it probably can. Take a peek at the dollar bill. Four short words tell it all. Interestingly, the psychological effects of trusting God have been probed significantly. Back in 2010, Dr. David Rossmarin, a professor of psychology and widely acclaimed researcher of cognitive behavioral therapy, conducted a fascinating study into the real-life effects of trust in God. I created a, a program to help people build higher levels of trust in God. 
He specifically chose to test the kind of trust known to traditional Jewish belief as Patechon. Dr. Rosmarin identified spiritual strategies for coping with stress and anxiety. He then designed a program to clinically measure their influence on our natural stress coping mechanism. The two-week program included materials, meditations, and exercises that nurtured a strong trust in God. He then deployed the program in a study of 120 random participants with reported elevated but subclinical levels of stress and anxiety. Dr. Ross Marin hoped to measure his program against a standard technique. So one group of participants was treated with progressive muscle relaxation, a typical method of stress relief that monitors and controls muscular tension. A second group of participants was provided with Dr. Ross Marin's daily Trusting God program, while a final group was offered no treatment at all. The participants were assessed before and after the program, and then again at a six to eight week follow-up. The results of his study were astonishing. The muscle relaxation technique failed to produce clinically significant results when compared to the results of those who received no treatment at all. But the partakers of the trusting God treatment scored clinically measurable improvements that were highly significant. I mean, statistical terms, there was a two standard deviation decrease in anxiety and worry over only a two week period, which is very, very significant. And these gains lasted well after the program ended, demonstrating a long lasting effect. The study indicated that the trusting God method can be an effective practice for well being for the global population. So instead of forking out top dollar, many of us could glance at the top of the dollar and remind ourselves that God is on top of things. When we recall where the buck truly stops, we can cash in on the benefits of cultivating confidence in our creator, whose wealth of caring providence to each individual provides us with the capital for investing in our own state of happiness and calm. It really provided clear evidence that working on one's faith can reduce levels of anxiety and depression and make things better. Experimental clinical evidence. Oops. Okay, so um, I, I think that if we are relating to God as child to parent and we are seeing it as that type of relationship, it is not a wonder that you can feel more safe when you have faith because our children feel more safe when they know we, that we are in control. So if we are thinking that somebody is, has my back, somebody, something, something other than me is watching out for what's going on in this world that gives us a modicum from here to as much as you want of ease and and um comfort knowing that it's that you are not the one who is pulling the reins i, I see ray one second it's not just you that needs to dot this i and cross this t because you know um because otherwise your gut, I mean, I'll use just Donna's sister. I'll pick on her for a minute because she's not here and it's so easy. You know, um, if Donna's sister is trusting that there's a day for her to die and her asthma, if she's taking her medication 
and doing the things she's supposed to and she dies, there was actually nothing she could do about that. She has faith that she's taking her medication and she's gonna live because she's doing what she's supposed to. And if she doesn't live, well, there was really nothing she could do about that anyway. That's that trust. Ray, what did you wanna say? Um, okay. How can you tell yourself that what's happening should be happening? Like um, my sister has a geoblastoma brain cancer and she had the surgery a year ago on November 1st. There's no cure to that. Um, and so I'm seeing someone that was very involved and active in doing things for other people. She was on the President's Committee for Disabilities. She worked in that area and all of a sudden, um, it, it probably is the progression of the disease, but you know, so you read up about it and it says, well, the average lifespan is from 12 to 15 months. Well, we're in month 15. I wish I didn't know that. Um, I don't like it. You know, only Hashem determines how long we have. But I've been seeing her. She can't do anything now. She can't stand. She can't walk. She can't use her hands. She can't feed herself. She can't brush her teeth. She can't, she can't do anything. And this is a woman who was always doing, and anyone that knew her, as Ruby did, I believe, and some other people, anyone that knew her, you know, and so I'm, I'm watching the decline. Um, she's a Berman Commons and we can visit once, once a week for a limited number of time outside. I mean, she can't even sit in the wheelchair for 10 minutes. And now she doesn't see, she doesn't see, she just stares, but she's not seeing. So, so I don't know, what am I supposed to? Um, it's just very difficult. It's, it's, I can't do anything for her. Um, and, and watching her just decline every time I go, it's, it's really terrible. So I'm not sure what am I supposed to be thinking or doing because I don't feel that it helps her. Like, like she's really suffering. And uh, so hospice gives her more pain medicine, but that's it. She's really just existing if, if you call that existing. Right. That's that's really 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 tough, and we're wishing her for Shalema. What's what's her name? Um, Leia Bas um, uh, Leia Bas Ruth. Leia Bas Ruth. We wish her for Shalema for Leia Bas Ruth, and that's what we can do. We can pray for her, make her comfortable. You visit her. Um, you have you you support her. You you don't you know, get angry about it around her because that's not going to be helpful for her. Um, but this is another, you know, another discussion is why, you know, I started the class saying we all struggle. Why I didn't talk about why we struggle. We struggle because that's the way God created the world. I, there's, I don't know if you know, I mean, I, there's no answers for this. Rabbi Torsky just passed away and I did see on Chabad.org a beautiful lecture he gave about, you know, speaking about 
struggle and and the world that you know he, he said that if he said this i heard another someone else say that you know if i created the world i would not create the world with struggle we don't we don't know why god puts that in the world um it's it's just it it's a part of life and there is no answers or reasons that we can understand and i think that's part of it is that if we understood the struggle then we would make light of the struggle because it, we would rationalize the struggle so we don't know i'm just sorry but here's someone that was constantly doing for others on every committee she sits on the board of several organizations of course now she can't be doing anything for anyone and so i i just don't know uh, what am i doing for her how i mean it's and, and you mentioned the book um by rabbi torsi my daughter just bought a book by him that was written 25 years ago and the things in there apply just as much to today as they did 25 years ago yeah yes yeah really i i mean ray the, i i think you you know the answer there's really nothing you can be doing and you have to be able to be okay with that you know because there is actually nothing you can be doing you're not you're not not doing what you should be doing you can say to him for her you can you know see her visit her make her, i mean obviously she's in a good place you have her as comfortable as she can be this is out of your hands this is you have to just again like if you could lean on hashem and say i am trusting you with this one you know what to do with her because i don't and and we i mean i don't i don't have any answers for you sounds and then sounds and so then hard. and then going to the funeral home to discuss things because we're dealing with the funeral home in atlanta and a funeral home in wilmington delaware where, where her plot is going there i felt so guilty you know people say well it's best to take care of those things before it happened yet I felt so guilty actually going there and talking to funeral director. Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure you did. That's hard. Yeah, we don't come from a culture. Listening. We don't come from a culture that is very good at planning for these things because of our faith. We always feel like something's going to turn around, and if I plan it, then it's actually going to happen. We don't. We don't come. It's not our culture to. to do these things. So I I totally understand why that's so uncomfortable for you. It's always the struggle with planning it and having that faith, but you are you're doing the right things. Um, we're wishing her a fushlema. Thank you. Thank you. So um on that note, um I think we'll just end with a a meditation. Is that is that good? we'll just end with a meditation so um the words for the meditation it are i'm going to put them up here you don't have to i'm going to read them so that you can you can meditate so if I, i'll read them but it will be part of the packet that you'll get in the email okay so um close your eyes sit on your chair take a deep breath in another deep breath in blow out feel your feet on the floor 
Feel your legs, your bottom, feel your chest, your arms. Feel where you are in space in your room. And um, I invite you to think of someone in your life that you trust. And then think about why you trust this person. Think about the love they have for you. Think about how they have helped you. Think about how they have helped you carry a burden at perhaps at one time. And then think about God, how God sent this person to be there for you in your life. God sent his help to you through this person. And you can think about it, verbalize it in your head, or you can verbalize it. Your thanks to God for helping to support you through this person that you trust and that you love so dearly. Now think of whatever stress or whatever fear that you have right now and invite the person that you trust into that space. And then think about how this person represents God's dependency, that you can rely on God because God put this person in your life. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge that the fear is there, but you also have this gratitude to Hashem because he has your back. So breathe that in, internalize it. Think of that person's presence in your life as a gift from Hashem and try to feel that God loves you. Bring that sense of Hashem being able to bring about a positive outcome. Think about the flow and invite that into your fear. Imagine Hashem having complete power to lead you down a road of success and joy. Hashem, God wanting to show you his love through circumstances that are successful through something that you are able to be proud of. And just as Hashem or the person that Hashem sent to you was there for you in the past, he will be there for you during this difficult time through your fears. Even though there's a lot that you're worrying about. So breathe this in and internalize it. Think about a stressful time when things turned out better than you expected. Think of how you felt before the situation was resolved. Think about God's involvement in the situation and what may have occurred had a random force been in control instead. 
It was not happenstance. Invite in the notion that, this is, that your success was Hashem gifting you with his love, that Hashem was holding your hand. Think of the outcome as a gift from Hashem. And again, try to feel Hashem's love for you. Breathe in, breathe out, and just open your eyes when you are ready. I'm so sorry. Sorry that you're going through this. You write down your sister. You said your sister's name is Leah Bat. Hi, Ruth. Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna dog one for her. Thank you. That she should um, feel comfortable. Okay. So you can bring your most pressing fears, your chronic fears, and you can bring those into your meditation and you can think about this. You can, you can, as Cookie was saying, you can meditate on the greatness of Hashem and how he has helped you and he has protected you. And you can use that to either replace or notice the things that are bogging you down so that we can ultimately be more joyous and not be bogged down by the things that are getting in the way of our joyfulness. Anybody have any questions or um, comments? That was a very nice um, meditation. It was very relaxing. Okay, good. Good. I bet the women who are not showing their faces are sleeping from it. <laughs> no, not sleeping. Okay, good. Good. Anyone have any questions or, I mean, I, I would, if everyone could wish, you know, Ray well and wish her sister Fushlema again, her name is Leah Bas um, Chaya Ruth, and we're just wishing her well. And we're wishing you well, that you, you have the strength to go through this with her. Okay. Yeah, we would pray for her, Ray. Ray, is someone with you? Are you okay? No one's with me, but I'm okay. No one's with you, but you're okay? Mm-hmm. You're, right. you're a strong, independent woman? Yes. Trying to be. <laughs> Trying to be. Right, this is where I feel like I want to give you a hug. <laughs> really? Thank you. Sending you hugs and love through, over Thank the years. Sending you love. Yeah. Thank you. We'll give you a Mishaberach on Shabbos. Yes. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you, Dina. Thank you, Dina. Thank you, Dina. Thank you, Dina. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.